One of the things that I realize is that what helps me deal with reality is speaking with, uh, reading about, reading things, uh, hanging around with people who do not share uh, my point of view. Uh, because it helps me just take it, it just helps me realize that the, the world is really much, much bigger than uh, old brother Rex thinks it is. If I just stay on my own side of the street, there are other people, people who have different views. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. Can I listen to that? Trusting that God is in there somewhere, right? Even if it, what that, what listening to another, uh, another person with whom I, I don't see eye to eye or whatever, even if I still come away from that realizing I still think you're incorrect, I have a better sense of why, not only why I think I'm correct, but why I think, why I can see where you're coming from. If that makes any sense to you at all, uh, it's just learning to listen to people with whom I disagree. That's that's reality. Not everybody in the world agrees with old brother Rex. Why that is, I don't know, but I just know that they don't. And so if I want to deal with reality, I need to deal with those people. Well, hello and welcome back to Deep in Christ. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi, here at the Coming Home Network International, bringing to you another conversation about this, our daily task of growing in imitation of and relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks again for being here today for this discussion. I'm joined again by my good friend and mentor and colleague, Brother Rex Anthony Norris, up there in Maine, where the temperature is what it always is, and it's getting <laughs> we cold had a, down here to match. You know, I'm feeling the bit. We of had a hard freeze last night. We had our first hard freeze. Yep, yep, yep. So we're continuing along on this study of the 12 Steps of Recovery. It's been a great discussion. Today we're moving on on the second of the maintenance steps. We talked about uh, step 10 last week. Um, and these these last three steps are kind of steps where we take this, this journey, this process, and begin to transform it into a lifestyle, really, the lifestyle of um, you know, continued reconciliation, continued entering into relationship with God, continuing to uh, obey Christ's uh, command for us to go out and make disciples and spread the good news and all that. Uh, but this step today is precisely that middle one that, uh, actually, well, you give us the text, give us the exact language, because it's a beautifully stated step. Yeah. It is indeed. So the original language is this, step, step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. End quote. Mm. Now, of course, That's as good. Christians, we can we can tweak that a bit and say, you know, conscious contact with God in Christ, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. But uh, the yeah. point is the same. Yeah. So there's lots of good pieces there for us to talk about today. We're going to talk about different types of prayer. You know, if we're if we're not just praying uh, in the midst of a crisis, now we're trying to pray from a place of ongoing work, ongoing uh, journey. We want to think about the different types of prayer and how they fit into a a lifestyle, uh, a rule of life. We talked about the rule of life last week. We want to talk about each of those types, you know, meditation it mentions specifically. We want to talk about prayer as the relationship with God. That's something we talked about um, in previous episodes before this study about you know, it's what we're talking about here. It's not like what it's not just talking for talking's sake. Prayer is 
the relationship with the Lord. Uh, and insofar as this process is active, our activity has to derive, has to be rooted in our relationship with God. And so prayer is that relationship. So prayer is necessary, not just once, but every day of our lives. Mm. So there's that aspect of it. And then, and then at some point later on, I, I totally want to talk about this, this uh, notion of God's will, seeking God's will. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that really mean? What does that discernment mean? What is it? What are we looking for? Are we looking for a stone tablet with writing on it? Are we looking for some some vision of the future? Or what does it actually mean to discern and to seek God's will? I want to talk about all that stuff today. So probably ought to begin just with with prayer, though. That's what this step is all about. It's about making the the prayer a part of our life uh, forever, part mm-hmm. of our, our rule of life, the way that we go about our life as Christians. Yeah, we can't have a relationship with someone with whom we don't communicate, right? And with whom we don't speak with or listen to. And that's what prayer is about, that relationship with the Lord of listening to and and speaking with God. I, I've always been struck by this, um, the way this step is worded. It sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious kind of God as we understood him, seeking only knowledge of his will for us and the power mm-hmm. to carry that out. And I think, I mean, for me, what that means for me is that I, I can tend to be fairly self-absorbed. And this this step points out to me that seeking God's will is about uh, doing. It's about not just about me, but it's also about uh, carrying out what it is that I discern uh, God's will is for me through prayer and meditation. Yeah. Yeah, God's will. Again, as I as I alluded to earlier, sometimes I think people can get this idea in their minds that when we're asking God's will, like we're 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 sitting around waiting for like a message from on high, or we need, you know, a specific complex set of mm. marching orders as if that's mm. what a Christian is waiting for. Like, oh, what should I do today? I'm gonna sit here and wait till God sends me a list. Like that's not how it works. Like <laughs> for most of us, the vast majority of what is God's will for our lives has been told to us. I mean, like this this one right here. Uh, gives me a pretty good idea of a good chunk of what my life is to consist of. It is consist of of loving and cherishing my wife and trying to help her get to heaven, trying to help her grow in relationship with Jesus. It's taking care of my children. It's taking care of the larger family around that. I mean, a lot of that has already been revealed as if on high. I don't need to go out and look for it. It's already there. It's more a question of trying to turn myself to really face up to it and be open to what that means practically today and the next day and the next. We already yeah. have the chunks there, but we we kind of we kind of don't look at them straight on most of the time. You know, we yeah, keep to what's kind of comfortable and sit. Go ahead. Yeah, for me, I mean, if nothing else, I know that God's will for me is to do the next right Christ-like thing in front of me. I may not have, I don't have to have it all figured out. I just have in any given situation, I need to do the next right Christ-like thing in front of me. Now, that brings up an interesting question. How do I know what the Christ-like thing to do is? So I saw a quote the other day that just kind of blew me away. I don't know why. It's just so succinct. It's almost like a Zen sort of koan kind of thing. Jesus is the truth about God. Jesus is the truth about God. If I want to know about God, the nature of God, the character of God, I look at Jesus. How do I look at Jesus? I read the New Testament. I, I hang around with, with, with disciples of Jesus who are uh, further along the path than I am. Uh, so the next right Christ-like thing is revealed to me through prayer uh, and through reading the New Testament, getting to know Jesus, because Jesus is the truth about God. Um, yeah. And as you said, you know, um, 
there are certain things in terms of my own life. You've made certain vows that that you that you fulfill, and that's God's will for you. I've made certain vows that I am called upon to fulfill. So at a minimum, <clears throat> I know that that at least is God's will for me. And again, I can always come back to the next right Christ-like thing in front of me. That's God's will for me. Totally. Yeah, one of the, the virtues that we've talked a lot about on this show early on with Father Peter and I that applies to this step uh, uh, very much uh, and to the Christian life in general, to this step in terms of its a- active side of, of seeking God's will and, and carrying it out, but also even on the prayer side too, is the virtue of prudence. We've talked about many times. Prudence is this virtue of turning to face reality and to being open to what what is real, what is true, and then acting accordingly. Mm. Not just mm. doing that once, but making that this habit of life, this this, this habit of soul, how you live mm. your life. It's applicable to these steps because number one, the, the place the place where we connect most to reality is in prayer. So prudence and prayer are so connected. We we make this habit of turning away from our passions, our feelings, whatever's going on, whatever we're worried or anxious or fearful or desirous of out there, turning in prayer to God and pausing and being open to whatever's true and real, which may or may not correspond to what we were worried about two moments ago. That's the whole point is we're turning away from that and being open to, you know, what's no what's really true and real? What's re- God's will for my life? What are the responsibilities he's given me that I'm not fulfilling? It's turning to be open to that reality. That's the first part. But then the second part is then, again, translating all that big stuff, you know, the truths of logic and morality and God's and, and the big vocations God has called me to, but then turning to the reality also of, okay, right here and right now, I can only take one step at a time. I can only take one bite out of the elephant at a time. And so what is the next most right step? As you said, the next mm. Christ-like step. What's the, So what's the next step that's truly the right next step? Not just the one I want, mm-hmm. not the one I'm being pressured to do, not the one that I'm just most anxious about so I'm going to tackle. No, what would be the right next step? And then trying to carry that step out in the most Christ-like way to do it the way Christ would do it, to do it courageously, to do it compassionately, to do it uh, at, from a place of peace. That is that is what the virtue of prudence is. And, and really, in some sense, prudence then encapsulates the whole of the virtuous life. It encapsulates what it looks like to act like Christ, to be a person who's turning to reality and who's bringing that to bear in just the next right step. And so this this that making that a habit is, I think, an important virtue connected to this step. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. Deep. <clears throat> and it seems to me that we do that again. We kind of, I can, I can think of uh, the 12-step uh, slogan, you know, one day at a time, right? Yeah. That I, I don't have to have, I don't have to have it all figured out. I just do the next right Christ-like thing today. And yeah. then if I, if I fall a thousand times, as long as I get up a thousand and one time, a thousand and one time, is that a word? The one thousandth so, time? <laughs> 11-1st, the 11-1st time. <laughs> <laughs> and keep on keep on going, you know, that's uh, that's uh, that's the best I can do for that day, right? One day at a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 24-hour segment of time. That's plenty enough, you know. Talking about prudence, yeah. I hadn't thought about it, but there was something bopping around in my head this morning that I couldn't let go, and I had a million, million ideas of how I should address this issue. And then in a moment of, of grace— the Lord basically said, don't do anything because yeah. 
if you do, if you do any, basically, if I did any of the things that I was thinking about doing, it would not necessarily, it would have, it would not have ended well. I would yeah. have ended up being more upset than I was to begin with. And um, mm-hmm. but I had to chew on that for a little while before I was able to quiet down long enough for the Lord to say, just don't do anything, just just let it go, but accept that yeah. that the situation. The situation was, is as the situation is. It's not going to kill me. It's not going to hurt anybody else. Uh, uh, and so just kind of let it go. And yeah. But it, that can take a while, right? That prudence, that turning uh, to mm-hmm. reality. So facing reality, that sometimes means doing nothing, which can be yeah. hard. Yeah. Which can be hard, I think, for, for people who grow up in a culture where it's do, do, do. And if it doesn't work, get a bigger hammer, right? And, uh, yeah. I, uh, when I was learning about the virtues the past uh, few years, uh, and particularly about this virtue of prudence and, and its preeminence in the doctrine of the virtues in Christian history, its, its, its significance, I experienced a, a small conversion of sorts, realizing, looking back in my life and realizing I had this recurring experience where I would be in a situation where I would feel myself caught when trying to decide the next step. And I'd be thinking, I'd be trying to negotiate, well, this person wants this and they want that mm-hmm. and I kind of want this. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out how I can make it all work and I can't find a solution. And I'm anxious and I'm worried. And I, and I can think back at, at particular moments of, of, of this experience in my life where I was just like, I just felt very stuck and I didn't understand. I'd even be sort of praying about it in the moment. But one thing that I, I realized in studying prudence is that the, the what I'd been doing in those situations is uh, trying to do something other than than turn to reality. In other words, hmm. I was trying to, yes, to negotiate all these other people's desires and not disappoint them. And, and But I also wanted to make sure that mine was represented in that as well. And I was trying to come up with my own perfect human solution of how I could work that all out. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't finding it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the conversion of heart and mind, this small conversion that I experienced was realizing, oh, you know, what pops that bubble is just turning to reality, being open to, no, no, like it's not my will here. I want to set that aside. What really would be the right thing here? Mm-hmm. And being open to that being something that that doesn't include any more like what I was hoping would be there. And it sort of popped the bubble of this, this seemingly uh, intractable situation of trying to come up with a way to please everybody, including mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And I'd find in those situations that, oh, no, the, uh, the answer is actually very clear. If we just do this, then I'm able to serve these people, you know, and, you know, and it works out better than I could have imagined it. But it's a subtle thing and it's hard to describe, mm-hmm. but the, mm-hmm. the salient point is that there's a significance to to trying to turn to reality, to turn to be open to what what is true, what is really God's will in this moment. And it, it really does mean kind of leaving yourself behind mm-hmm. for a moment so that you can be open to what's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a slogan uh, again from a twelve-step pro- from the twelve-step programs. It's, it's reality. What a concept! <laughs> yeah, because when you think about it, addiction, whether it's to to a sin of our choice or a chemical addiction or a behavioral addiction, it's not. Uh, in, in one level, it's about not dealing with reality. Right. Right. This is going on, so I'll do that so that I don't have to deal with this, right? right. Uh, and yet it's not, it's not, it doesn't work. Well, it works for a little while, but then it doesn't work. It becomes a, it becomes a deficit instead of a, 
It's like the story. Yeah. I don't know if I can tell this story. It may take a while. Does this have anything to do with this? Let's see. Uh, yeah. Talking about reality. So the, mm. the story is the guy is out in a field, uh, out in his backyard, looking for his keys. He's got this well-groomed backyard. He's out looking for his keys. And the neighbor comes in and says, what's going on? He said, well, I lost my keys. I can't find my keys. And the fella says, I'll help you look for them. So they're looking all around the yard. Guess can't find those keys anywhere. And so the neighbor finally says to the guy, well, where exactly do you think you dropped the keys? Exactly. And the guy said, down the street at the park. And the guy, the neighbor says, why are we looking for your keys here in your yard? And the guy says, the, the grass is shorter here. <laughs> okay, so now that's kind of crazy, right? <clears throat> you can't blame the guy for wanting to find his keys. All he wants right. to do is find his keys, but he's not dealing with reality. The reality is he dropped the keys down in the weeds, down at the park, and that's where he had, even though he, it'll be more difficult to find them in the weeds, yeah. he's got the, he's got the chance to find them because he's dealing with reality. Yes. So that yeah. when all of our, our sinfulness and our, and our, uh, uh, addictions, they may have started out to deal, to deal with something, but we dealt with it. I want, all I want to do is find my keys. Yeah. But I went about it the wrong way, yeah. and it ended me up. I never did find my keys until I started yeah. dealing with reality, and that's what God's will. God, God only deals in reality. That's the funny thing when I hear people talk about we well, just believe in superstition or flying spaghetti monsters and all you know all this kind of craziness. I'm like, well, I don't know about other religions, but Christianity deals with reality, you yeah. know, just, with what's really real. In fact, I've heard I heard I can't remember who said it. It doesn't matter, but uh, on retreat once, the, the retreat master said, prayer prayer is a long, loving look at the real. A long, loving look at reality. That's, right? That's very good. That's, and it's deep. I mean, I still ponder that occasionally. A long, loving look at the real. Um, and so seeking for God's will in our life, again, you know, um, doing the next right Christ-like thing in front of me, and I get to know what that is. I, I, I learn what that is by my encounters with Jesus, who is the truth of God. And uh, yeah. the more I do that, the more God's will for me in any particular situation begins. It becomes almost intuitive. Yeah. I, I know intuitively how to handle a situation that beforehand may have baffled me Right. Why, as regards God's will. Why? Because I've learned something of the character of God. Yeah. Because I've learned something more about Jesus through my prayers, yeah. through meditation on the scriptures. Yeah. The context of talking, you're talking about reality, talking about developing a taste for reality, you know, whereas before we had a distaste for it and we were fleeing from it in so many ways. It's so important to this question of the, of the you know, discernment of God's will. Because again, most of the time, discerning God's will does not necessarily mean seeking after information I don't have access to. Like usually God's will does not mean I have to go out and find a sacred book and, and read mm, a thing, mm. you know, or I don't, I'm not seeking a, some secret scroll with the marching orders. Yes. Most of the time we already ha have access to the information, you know, through the church, through the scripture, through our vocations. We know, you know, a lot, like it, the information is there. Lack yeah. of information is not really the issue. The issue is that we're habituated 
with a distaste for reality. Mm-hmm. And so even <laughs> when we're looking at reality, we're kind of like, we're looking at it like this. We're kind of got our eyes, you know, squinted and we're, we're sort of shielding them. We'll look at it a little bit at a time, but just a little bit because man, it is just, it's difficult and it's challenging. <laughs> and so again, this long loving look at the real, that's a lot of what prayer is, is where we're, we're, putting ourselves in the presence of God, and we're habituating ourselves to be more and more open to just what is real. We already have access to it, but we can't really grapple with it. We can't really look at it dead on. We can't look uh, dead on at the reality, the gravity of our sinfulness, our need for God's mercy. That's part of what this whole process has been, is this been the slow opening of our Mm -hmm. eyes Mm -hmm. to the reality of how much we need Jesus, to the reality of, of his mercy. You know, the mercy that he's already shown us, that he's showing us every day. That's hard to look at. That's hard mm, to really mm. open our eyes to. And then to open our eyes to all the things he's called us to, all that we already know and are not living up to in our lives. There's a lot to reality. It's big. It's real. <laughs> um, and so this this habituating ourselves to be people who have a taste for the real, even when it's challenging, even when it hurts a little bit, even when it stretches us in ways that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We're habituating ourselves to be to be people who who go to and live in reality and accept what that means for us. Now, again, we, even when we catch a vision of, again of our of our sinfulness, of how much we need Jesus, of of the great things that He's trying to call us to, you know, the high standards we're called to in in being called to imitate Christ. That doesn't mean that we can then do it all at once. That's another. That's a. That's another way we can get waylaid is by seeing, getting a vision of the whole, and being intimidated by it. No, we can only take one step at a time, as you said at the beginning. So there too is this virtue of prudence of recognizing I, I need to turn to and be open to the real and make a habit of that of person who living in the real in the presence of God. But then I go through the humble step of taking it one step at a time, one day at a time. Um, and and accepting that that's enough. That's enough for God. He's given me that that much grace, the grace to take one step at a time. Mm, mm, that's beautiful. I think, too, for me, one of the things that's helped me deal with reality, and I, I don't know about anybody else. I don't know about you, John Mark, but I still, uh, after all these years of discipleship, I, I wax and wane on my... Oh, totally. Uh, on my... Um, I guess I always love reality, but I sometimes forget that I love reality. So I wax and Well, there's some pieces of it that we're more comfortable with. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the things, that's good. Yeah, one of the things that I realize is that what helps me deal with reality is speaking with, uh, reading about, reading things, uh, hanging around with people who do not share uh, my point of view. Uh, Because it helps me. Just take it. Just helps me realize that the the world is really much much bigger than uh, old brother Rex thinks it is. If I just stay on my own side of the street, there are other people people who have different views, and it's like hey, that's interesting. And can I listen to that, trusting that God is in there somewhere, right? Even if it, what that what listening to another uh, another person with whom I I don't see eye to eye or whatever. Even if I still come away from that realizing I still think you're incorrect. I have a better sense of why, not only why I think I'm correct, but why I think, why I can see where you're coming from. If that makes any sense to you at all, uh, it's just learning to listen to people with whom I disagree. That's that's reality. Not everybody in the world agrees with old brother Rex. Why that is, I don't know, but I just know that they don't. And so if I want to deal with reality, I need to deal with those people. As painful as it can be sometimes. That brings up a, 
this brings us back to prayer, and it brings up a connection I wanted to make here, which is that uh, as we talk a little bit more about prayer today, I think that we could probably also connect to this step. Primarily, we're, you know, um, through prayer and meditation, we're seeking conscious contact with God. We, we want to grow in that relationship. But so too, especially for people who are recovering from an addiction to sin, and that is, as we have discussed, all of us, every single mm-hmm. one of us, um, that in, that I've heard it said about people in addiction that what they're seeking is connection. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're abusing something because they're lacking a sense of connection. And so it would seem that in this step two, again, first and foremost, it's it's practicing connection with God through prayer and meditation, mm-hmm. uh, through the sacraments, the church, but also practicing that connection with other people because the habits of prayer, you know, uh, communicating with God and the habits of being in the presence of other people uh, are similar habits. Actually, there's, I don't have the catechism with me at the moment, but there was a, a piece of the catechism we went over right from the very first part on the section of prayer where it talks about uh, prayer as practicing this this habit of being in relationship, this habit, these habits of being in the presence of another person, mm-hmm. and I, I was, I love that because it's like we we fail in the same ways with regards to God, the divine person, and to our fellow human persons. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, we need that connection. We need relationship. That's the thing that we were missing. That's the thing we need to lean into and attach ourselves to and habituate ourselves to to lean into. Um, and so we, we practice prayer, but then we also carry those practices into our relationships with other people, but then vice versa too. As we, as we, as you were talking about brother, we, when we make a habit of listening to people, even, and especially when what they're talking about, again, it doesn't jive with our reality. That doesn't mean we accept it as, as, as wholly true, but we we're open to reality. We're open to whatever truth there is there. And that practice of being open to truth, even uncomfortable truth is that what, something that we then carry back into prayer? Of, of mm-hmm. now, I can go back into the presence of God, and maybe there were some ways I was telling myself I was open to truth in the presence of God, but maybe I really wasn't. And now I'm I'm a bit more open for having practiced that with my brother or sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how Jesus never lets us off the hook when the guy asks him, uh, "What's the greatest commandment?" and Jesus gives him two. Right, the greatest <laughs> commandment is love God, and the and the second one is just like it, love neighbor. Oh man, come on! I heard somebody mentioning the other day they're talking about uh, another another topic, but the fellow was saying, "Am I am I trying to in, in engaging in a conversation with another human being whom I don't know? I'm just trying to get, you know, uh, am I am I coming into the conversation from a position of differentiation or solidarity?" Do I want to be in solidarity with this person or do I want to differentiate? I'm not like you, right? Uh, or do I want to come at it from a point of solidarity? I'm not out anything if I come at it from a point of solidarity, right? So I just come out if I, but it sets up a different dynamic. <clears throat> uh, and yeah, so carrying out, carrying out the will of God by necessity means other people, at least other, you yeah. know, I mean, other living beings. Whether it's is it my dog is my is it God's will that I kick my dog? Well, I don't think so, right? So that's another living being. Um, anyway, okay, so I'm struggling here. Well, let's talk thought? about prayer for a few minutes here. You know, again, so we the the catechism talks about three types, general types of prayer: uh, vocal prayer being the first, uh, uh, meditation being the second one, and contemplation being the third. 
and meditation is the one mentioned uh, by name here. But so vocal prayer would refer to uh, sort of the it's the training wheels sort of prayer. It's 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 never to be dispensed with, but it's that prayer that we can pray, the kind of prayer we can pray even on days where we are just feeling dead, mm-hmm. where we are just fe- we don't we are not. You know, we're depressed or we're just can't, mm-hmm. we don't feel any connection to God or our neighbor. That's where we can still, we can, from the church, from the scripture, we can receive good words and we can say them. We can say true words to God. We can say glory to God. We can, we can with the angels, we can say holy, 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 mm-hmm. even when we're not feeling it. So we can, we can speak the good words. And in, in Catholicism, of course, we've got a, whole, a treasury of this from the ages of the church. We have, we can go to mass and say and pray the words uh, of the Mass. We can pray the Liturgy of the Hours, which is praying through the Psalms and, and, and canticles of the Scripture. We can pray the Rosary, which again is is taking these great uh, words from the Gospel of Luke, you know, to Our Lady and about Our Lady as a way to meditate on the Scripture. Um, we can we can say we can do vocal prayer. We can we can speak to God in those various ways, even when we're not. Uh, Feeling. That's that's one aspect of it. I think another aspect of vocal prayer too is just that you know that we start by talking to God. Mm-hmm. You know, even if we're not great at listening yet, we start by you know thanking Him mm-hmm. and praising Him and asking Him for what we need. We we start by by saying it, and that's one way that we we establish that relationship. It can't mm-hmm. end there. It can't only be that, but it of course is a very important part of that relationship. I think uh, a lot of us, as we're coming into the Catholic Church from perhaps this uh, from a a non-Catholic tradition where extemporaneous prayer was the was just the way you prayed. Um, right. It can be a, it can be an adjustment to get 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 uh, get used to the prayers of the church. But yeah. the good thing about that is that the church uh, has two thousand years of wisdom that she gives me through the prayers, so I can use the words of my ancestors when I can't come up with my own, and that can be right. comforting. Right, uh, and and uh, the notion if we're cradle Catholics or what have you, and we're just not good at extemporaneous prayer, Saint Jose Maria has that great uh, advice for somebody who says, "I I just don't know how to pr- I just don't know how to pray or I don't know what to pray." And Jose Maria says, "Just say to the Lord, I don't know how to pray," and at that moment you have begun to pray. I mean, it really is quite simple, isn't it? You just say, "God, I have no idea what I'm going to say." I don't. I don't know how to pray, and and there you are. Now you're praying. It's like, oh yeah. right, okay. It's that simple. We're um we're a complex people. It's uh, somebody said the other day. Uh, or I heard somebody say once at a twelve step meeting, this is a simple program for complex people. Yeah, and I think it's true. God is simple. I mean, that's what Saint Thomas Aquinas said. God is simple, but we are we are a complex people. And so we can yeah. tend to make things more complex than they. I think it's just the way we. It's just sort of the way we're yeah. wired after the fall. Um, so anyway, so prayer, and then we can move on to meditation. I like the way the twelve steps. I like the way the eleven step talks about meditation. It's very. Um, yeah. It's like lexio divina, right? We're just mm-hmm. we're reading the scriptures, and uh, some twelve step programs suggest the prayer attributed to Saint Francis of Assisi. Uh, we can use the Lord's Prayer. And we just sort of pray our way through that and meditate on those words. Right. What does it mean, right? Even the Our Father. I mean, you talked about being connected, right? You said that mm-hmm. and we're looking for belonging, right? I'm looking for my keys, yeah. but I'm looking in the wrong place. <clears throat> yeah. 
the very first word of the Our Father is Our. There's already a community formed. When I use that word Our, like Our, whose? Who, 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 who makes up Our? Hmm. Every Christian that ever lived. And beyond that, you want to extend it to that, right? Our Father who art in heaven. Wow. Just And just to ruminate on the word our. Yeah. Well, who, who's not involved? Who's not included in that our? Who am I to say, right? I, wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. I was thinking uh, on the level of, of vocal prayer, I've often thought it's interesting that I think that oftentimes one of the turning points for people in prayer is sometimes leaning into the kind of prayer on the vocal prayer level that's that's less familiar, less comfortable to them. Hmm. So you might have somebody for whom you know praying the Psalms or praying the, lit- the liturgy is very very comfortable, uh-huh. but they're just they can't the idea of just kind of talking to God is uncomfortable to them. Or you might have somebody who's very very comfortable with that, but 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 turning to the wisdom of the saints and the great and, and the great words and the liturgical prayers is maybe it's not something they're comfortable with. Sometimes it's at that turning point where we're that's where we're actually stepping out and exposing ourselves to God, you know. And the reason that we we clung to maybe our particular kind of prayer was precisely because it was ours. It was more me. And that moment where we're beginning to step out and expose our heart to God. It's a little uncomfortable because we're starting to move towards a higher form of prayer. And again, so meditation, you know, broadly speaking, it's where we're we're bringing ourselves to something, to something, some substance, a bit of scripture, some spiritual reading, you know, and uh, imagining a scenario in the gospel. We're trying to expose ourselves to that, but then to to sit back and allow ourselves to be affected by it. You know, we're consciously bringing ourselves to something holy and we're trying to sit there with it and just allow it to affect us however it affects us, mm-hmm. right? And again, if we got too comfortable with our particular form of vocal prayer, mm-hmm. we might, we can kind of form a resistance to that next level and we have to step out a little bit and and meditate on something yes. that might be a little challenging, that might, that might you know, uh, cause us to feel some things, you know, yes. whereas we would prefer not to, you know. Yes, yes. That's beautiful. I think too, in in, in terms of um, uh, uh, prayers, I mean, something you said made me think about in the Anglican tradition from which I came. Uh, we had two two basic varieties of of the of the liturgy uh, of the hours or, or the liturgy of the Eucharist, and that was what they call Rite One, R I T E, Rite One, which was Elizabethan English. And write two, which is just modern English. So in my parish, for instance, we would we would always do write uh, write two at the at the service I went to. So it was always modern English, except during Advent and Lent. And then we would do write one. Now, not only was it a little bit the, the the language itself, the words were a bit more penitential in nature, like the the sort of the thrust or however the flavor. Yeah. But it was also, it would shake us out of our complacency. Of I always know, this is exactly the words I always pray at this time in the liturgy, blah, blah, blah. But when it's done in Elizabethan English, where I don't normally use Elizabethan English, I can hear it again differently. Yeah. And so the Lord can speak to me through that Elizabethan English, uh, whereas uh, I would not normally 
hear those words because they be, I become accustomed to them. Right. So, uh, I, right. And then I can that's meditate good. on that. Like, wow, that's interesting, right? Yeah. Right. So, the, again, the point here is not that I, I seek after new liturgical or vocal mm -hmm. experiences to feel things. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is, as I as I seek, it, it, there, it's to that the vocal type of prayer is to set the context to allow God to impact me. And so, you know, to to ha to mix it up once in a while, or to to pray through a different part of the Bible than I have done before, or to again to to maybe go to a different liturgy or whatever. The the point is, is that I'm trying to the the vocal prayer is always to lead me to the place where God's word can impact me in a mm -hmm. way that I wasn't maybe allowing it to before. Mm -hmm. And when that and when that and to make a practice of that. Again, the preeminent way being lexio divina or or divine readings, the study of scripture. You know, to to read it, but then to sit back and let it just impact us, to to mm -hmm. allow God to reveal what He wants to reveal to us, what He wants to mm -hmm. show to us, how He wants us to be impacted by it. I just began and, a, yeah, a I just began a four volume uh, reading of the commentary of Matthew, and I cannot tell you the fellow's name. It's, you would know it if I, but I'm going to screw it up, so I'm not going to tell you what the name of it is. But anyway, <laughs> it's a four volume. Uh, it's a four volume. It says 2,400 pages. And I thought, I may never, I may never, literally, I may never complete this. But the interesting thing is that the author takes a line from Matthew, maybe only more than four or five words, and then he writes a brief, a very brief commentary. And then it's designed to just then sit and ruminate on those four or five lines. It's like, and it's, it's rich. I mean, it is rich. I'm like, wow. Twenty four hundred pages, and it's not—it's not a chore. That's the thing. It's just like, yeah. wow, this is just so rich. Brings out nuances in the words, and so on and so forth. It's just, and the Lord is really speaking to me. I've had these this four volume set for a long, long time, maybe a decade or more, and I just because I got it at a good deal, and I'm frugal yeah. of nothing. And then the <laughs> and then recently it was just that you know I just decided this is what was this is what I was going to do. It was time. To dive in, because somebody had been, that's what it was, somebody had been referring to this, to these writings. And I'm like, well, those are too deep for me. I tried that once years ago, and I decided I'd put it back on my shelf until the time was right. And then recently, I took it down off the shelf and realized, ah, the time is right. So I've begun that, that study of, of Matthew, and it's really, really good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So, and I think there is something to that about uh, picking a spiritual work that's some, a little bit beyond us. We want, mm -hmm. again, we don't want to simply refer back to, let's stay in a nice comfort. I'm going to find yes. something that just uh, can reliably give me good feelings. Yes. No, I want to find something that's a little bit beyond me, that stretches yes. me a little bit. Stretches me, Because yes. it's not the feelings I'm going for. It's it's a lot, giving God the context and the space and the permission to impact me through something. And so it's it's sometimes better when it, if it mixes it up, if it makes me a little uncomfortable, if it's a little bit different, a little bit change of pace from what I'm used to because yeah. precisely I'm it's this movement from uh, me doing the praying to meditation to ultimately contemplation where this is all leading, which is that yeah. ultimately I want to more and more uh, allow God to do to work in me. And that's what my prayer is is just exposing mm -hmm. myself to God and allowing him to work in me. You know, he must increase, I must decrease. That's kind of the journey of prayer. Um, and we, again, we never dispense with the lower forms of prayer, but they become more habitually the way that we set up the context uh, for God to work. 
And so if we think about this step, again, in terms of one of these maintenance steps of the recovery program, mm -hmm. uh, that we're making prayer a part of our life, well, the, the way that we block it out, so to speak, is you know we, we make sure that prayer is part of our normal routine, that there's the times for it. And when we enter into prayer, oftentimes some vocal prayer, some meditation is the way that we, we prime the pump. We get ourselves ready. We address God. We get ourselves in the right frame of mind. We begin the conversation. But then it, the, the journey of prayer, the journey of that relationship is getting better at, at going there in the presence of God and then stepping back and allowing God to do the work, allowing him to do the talking, allowing reality to be what reality is mm -hmm. and, uh, and having ourselves simply be the recipients of it mm. uh, for a time that we then go to act on, to act in accordance mm. to. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I have here in front of me, uh, hmm. this happens to be the, if I can do this and if I can't, you can always edit this out. Um, <laughs> the last paragraph of the, the um, 11th step as it's recorded in the, in the literature from Alcoholics Anonymous called the 12 and 12. Um, yeah. And uh, if I could read this, because I just think this is a wonderful, Please do. A, a wonderful, yeah. Um, perhaps, this is the quote. Perhaps one of the greatest rewards of meditation and prayer is the sense of belonging that comes to us. We no longer live in a completely hostile world. We are no longer lost and frightened and purposeless. The moment we catch even a glimpse of God's will, the moment we begin to see truth, justice, and love as the real and eternal things in life, we are no longer deeply disturbed by all the seeming evidence to the contrary that surrounds us in purely human affairs. We know that God lovingly watches over us. We know that when we turn to him, all will be well with us here and hereafter. End quote. I think that's, that's just a beautiful summation of what you know, prayer and meditation are, are uh, supposed to do to do. That's what they're for. It's yeah. what they, they accomplish. And it's what grace through prayer and meditation accomplishes in our life. And uh, it's right. a beautiful thing. And because there's no end to reality, yeah. right? Um, when we finish these steps, you know, there's no really no finishing them. Right? We, we just, mm -hmm. we can go back to the very beginning and start all over again. And we have a different view of the world now because we have a different grasp of reality. And that grasp yeah never ends. Even uh, at the end of this earthly life, it continues, right? That yeah. this, this, this ongoing deepening, this ongoing, this long loving look at the real stretches, begins now, if we choose, and stretches on to eternity, which is yeah. uh, cosmic, right? To me, when I think about it, it's like, wow. Mind-blowing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, connection prayer, God's will, as always lots of things for us to take and pray over and ponder through as we go about our days. Uh, thank you, brother, for this discussion. I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. And thank you, uh, dear friend, for listening and, and watching along with this study. I hope you've been enjoying it. We'll come back next week with uh, a wrap-up, the final step, and, and probably a little bit of just wrap-up of the, of the whole study we've been doing. So I hope you'll join us for that. Once again, this, uh, this show, Deep in Christ, is a a production of the Coming Home Network International. We are a network of people who have come to embrace 
the Catholic Church as this church that Christ has given us, that he established, that he guides and protects. We want to share that truth and beauty with you. Again, whether you're someone who's new to the Catholic Church, or you're thinking about becoming Catholic, or you just are, are sympathetic and have questions as a fellow brother or sister in Christ, even amidst our, our broken family, a broken Christian family, um, if that's you, this is your network. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We want to walk alongside you as we as we work out these divisions, as we work out this this brokenness in our family and in ourselves. And so uh, we invite you to check this out at uh, www.chnetwork.org. We've got a newsletter, lots of great resources, videos, articles, etc., as well as an online community where you can follow along with this show and journey along with fellow brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ as we try to go deeper in Christ every day. Thanks again for joining us for this discussion. God bless you. We'll talk to you again next week.